1: What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Com Chatter. Uh, we're not going to play Star Wars Squadrons today. We're just going to be in the briefing room, but I do have my very first actual pilot on the show. Today, joining me is Paul Sun-Hyung Lee, who plays Carson Teva in The Mandalorian and is a huge Star Wars fan. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I, I am thrilled to have uh, a pilot with me here in the briefing room today uh, and, and just Hearing how much of a Star Wars fan you are these past few months uh, has been so much fun. And I I just knew that we had to talk, especially we're going to talk about Biggs a little later. But uh, he is genuinely my favorite character in Star Wars. And uh, so everyone was tagging me uh, (laughs) when you were telling that story about his helmet. Yeah, I I really want to get to know you and uh, your Star Wars fandom to kick things off. So uh, what was your introduction to Star Wars like?
0: I was five years old, and it was the first movie my dad took my sister and I to see in the movie theaters. I'd never been in the theaters before, and um, you know, I had no idea what to expect. And that was it. I mean, yeah, I, watching that as a as a five year old just totally blew my my world, and uh, you know, it's been a part of me ever since. Um, I, I have vivid recollections of, of just sitting in 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 the theater seats and just being blown by blown away by the spectacle, and then just. Trying to recreate every moment that I saw on, you know, on, on the screen with friends at different day camps or at school, and uh, I, I remember uh, we were part of a summer camp and all the kids were playing. We were reenacting the the the, the very opening of the of the movie when uh, the the stormtroopers are storming the tent of four, and we had a group of kids. The unpopular kids were the rebel soldiers who were <laughs> trying to hold the hallway, and the cool kids were uh, the stormtroopers. And the the main cool kid was Darth Vader. Uh, but it was really, really it, it was one of those things that just leaves an indelible mark on your on you when you when you watch it at that age. And that was that was me. That was it right there. And I always say that Star Wars for me has been like uh roadmarks uh, on my my journey to to uh, adolescence because my dad took my sister and I to see it when I was five years old. Then my babysitter took my sister and I to see Empire <laughs> Strikes Back uh without my parents, and then my sister and I were old enough to see Return of the Jedi on our own. And so my sister's been with me every step of that Star Wars journey uh, up until the prequels, obviously. But it was those are those are definite markers in my life. Uh, every three years we, we <laughs> take that next step uh, into independence and stuff. So um, and the experiences were so different, too. Uh, I was at five years old, completely unaware of the rest of the audience. Um When I was uh, watching when I was eight, uh, watching Empire Strikes Back with my babysitter, I became very aware of the lineups that we had to wait in to get inside the theater and and how popular it was. And then for Return of the Jedi, I just remember it being so loud in the movie theater. People were shrieking. It was like being at a rock concert. You know, whenever um, a character showed up, people would just erupt and just pure out joy. Um, And it was just an unbelievable feeling when you're you know, 11 years old with your sister, you're out at the movies away from on your own. And it's like being at a rock concert. Like everybody just got swept up in the moment. And so it, it's no wonder that, that Star Wars has has stuck with me and has been such a big part of my, of my life.
1: Well, I mean, I love just the the very beginning of that story about how even the, the popular kids and the unpopular kids were all unified and playing Star Wars together. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, do, do you have a specific memory from a new hope that just really your a favorite scene or something that just grabbed you and like you were like this is it
0: you know i've watched it so many times over the years and it it's hard to just sort of pinpoint one precise moment but i guess i mean really um it's what sticks with me the image that sticks with me is the death star the, the trench run and i know it's modeled after the the movie the dam busters um, and, and they, they they really sort of mimic the the bombing runs that the Allied forces were making on it. but it's just there's something about the the kinetic motion of of the way the the, the Starfighters, uh the x-wings are, are swooping in um, the, the score of John Williams this, the, v, the VFX that you just get swept up in this epic battle for survival and like I'm, I'm getting I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it right now me too. <laughs> uh, yeah so that that for me was just like they're on a clock. They're these snub-nosed fighters against this mammoth uh, space station and they're doing everything they can. And it's just it was just so exhilarating. And then he, there you have Luke Skywalker, farm boy, thrown into a into the cockpit of a of an X-Wing fighter for the first time in his life. And he's in it. He's doing all the things that he, he kind of wanted to do. Um yeah, that that for me was just so moving. And you have you suffer tremendous losses as well, right? Bigs, everybody's getting blown away. You lose gold leader, you lose red, lose red leader. You think it's all done, and then Han Solo flies in with Millennium Falcon, and it's just like it was beautiful. It's beautiful. So that that moment, I think was for me something that that has always sort of stuck with me.
1: That that's my exact favorite scene from that movie as well. And it's a New Hope is my favorite Star Wars movie, but yeah, the trench run. Like I, I watched that scene if not the entire movie like every day for a summer when my parents first showed it to me and every day my dad would come home to work and it'd be at the trench run he'd be like rebels winning again like yeah they sure are i i love pilots and uh the trench run is a big reason for it yeah uh do you have a favorite star wars story maybe not necessarily a movie but uh out of everything that's ever been told is there something that uh is kind of your gold standard
0: when you talk about, uh, in what context? I guess like a uh, on a set story that I heard, or a personal story, or oh,
1: like a uh, the a movie or a book, like an actual Star Wars story.
0: Oh, um, you know, it's 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 so interesting because I remember uh, getting into the Timothy Zone Air of the Empire series afterwards. Like I didn't even know that they had been released. Uh, it, it, a roommate of mine was like, "Have you like have you re- read this trilogy?" And he says, it took place after Return of Jedi. I said, no. And I gobbled them up. Like, I just consumed them, hardlined them. And it was just, he got the tone so right. And it was such a beautiful way to continue the story while staying true to the characters. Um, and it, it sounded legit. Uh, and I love the new characters they introduced. Obviously, that was the, the first introduction of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, I, I love the whole idea of having to work with the the bounty hunters. Uh, I, again, to, to sort of cobble together a, a space fleet. Um, so there is that that whole idea that okay there, there's more because the expanded universe for a while I wasn't really as interested in just because um, it just felt so peripheral to it. I did enjoy Rogue Squadron though that whole series of books right there like that that was really cool in following Wedge Antilles and and the formation of that. We're um, becoming best friends. I hope <laughs> you know that. <laughs> awesome, um, yeah. And so so there was that, and then I I think really. Uh the excitement of the prequels coming coming out, I think really sort of uh was one of those moments in my life where I thought, you know, because you think, oh, well, they're done, they're finished, they're not going to do any more Star Wars. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, they're doing the prequels. They're they're telling a story before episodes four, five, and six. And you're like, What? And, and so you're just You start the Jones, there's no, there's no wonder that people lined up for like a month before the movie theaters even started, uh, that became a cultural event, which I, I thought was fantastic because it really did capture the imagination of a lot of fans and it reignited that passion. Now the movies themselves, you know, hit or miss, depending on how old you are when you watch them. I know a lot of younger people that was their star Wars. They grew up with that and they have a lot of affection towards it. And that's awesome. Um, for me myself, I was just so happy to see Star Wars again on the big screen. Uh, And, um, you know, those, those kinds of stories, uh, it really did open up the whole possibility of um, a life outside of the main three, Hmm. you know? And and I, I kind of like that continuation of it. And then you have the, where they're trying to discover the different iterations now and which combinations work. I mean, Mandalorian is the the first one, sort of the gold star that kind of like, seems to have gotten it all right in terms of the storytelling, in terms of the the place in the universe, um, the expansion of that universe, and, the, and the, the the folding in of some of the expanded universe stories that have been out there and haven't been considered canon and are now being sort of brought in and, and slightly reworked and retconned in a, sure. in a way. But they're there, which is great, because why get rid of such a vast resource of, of great characters and stories that a lot of fans know about, uh, the hardcore fans at least, you know, um so there's that and then for me too uh, i think rogue one was stunning just because it sort of gave the idea that it there it was a galactic conflict that it was more than just that our merry band of heroes that was just the sort of the focal point there was so much more to what was going on and the stakes were so much higher and it just seemed a little bit more real in that sense it wasn't a swashbuckling adventure it kind of was but really it, it was this whole idea of the rebellion being bigger than it and more tenuous than it actually seemed to be in episodes you know uh, four mm. five and six it, you looked at it like half of them didn't want to fight right <laughs> They're like are you kidding we gotta run this is this is time to hide um and i love that idea the fact that they did not have their shit together they, they were all squabbling within each other amongst each other um, and of course, you know when they, when they started the the battle of, over Scarif, and the rebel fleet jumped in, I got goosebumps again because you have the the folding in footage, unused footage from from Star Wars, and you hope, and then you know they introduced Gold Squadron, Red Squadron. And I I almost died, like I was crying seeing those mo, you know, seeing the actors and the ships fly in, and again there was there's some fantastic. Um, VFX stuff being done, but uh, the storytelling in the battle alone was tremendous as well. So I, I, you know, it it was kind of like they took my favorite one of Star Wars, and they they expanded it and they did a little another little side campaign to sort of keep me happy.
1: I totally agree. Uh, (laughs) I like. I want to. I'm going to save it for later. We're going to talk about like Rogue Squadrons, the 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 movie coming out (laughs) because oh my god. But um, do you do you have a favorite? background character like everyone always talks about you know your your luke's your hans the yeah. the the big characters of each trilogy but do you have anyone that you feel like you might be the biggest fan of this character someone that's more like a a b or a c tier
0: yeah you know <clears throat> it's it's interesting there, there on both sides there's kind of a couple uh wedge antilles is is one of my favorite ones just because um you know he's the only one to sort of survive all three movies and uh, other than the, the the main three, which is great, um, and, and they expand on him a little bit in the in the uh, the expanded universe stuff. Um, is it is it Air to the empire? Or is it rogue squadron? Where uh, one of the pilots he notices that he's got a patch, and the patch has a dot on it, which means he survived the Death Star trench run and whatnot. And I, I kind of I love that that layering in of reality because I think a lot of military patches they they have that note that. A distinction as well. If if you've served in certain places, that your badge is just a little bit more different to signify um, the campaigns you've you've taken part of. Um, so wedge is one of them. Uh, excuse me, Flem, not COVID. Uh, <laughs> on the imperial side, I always got a kick out of out of uh, Captain Piet and how he really? got promoted to admiral. And <laughs> he was just like, <laughs> you know, he's just kind of thrust in the moment because he's a competent bridge officer who basically wants to warn Admiral Ozzel that, Hey, you know, th- there's something that's going on over here. And I think maybe we should, we should check it out because there's not supposed to be any life forms on hot. And also like, no, no, he's all, he's, he's your standard sort of Admiral who thinks he knows it all. And his overconfidence is, his undoing. And when Vader takes him out and Piet's just standing there trying to <laughs> go down. And then Vader just says, you know, don't fail me. Admiral. He makes the jump from captain to Admiral like that. Um, was for me kind of like oh that was that was really kind of scary but cool and he makes it to return the jedi and like he's in command of of the 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 lead starter story and he gets taken out by that a-wing uh pilot that makes the 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 suicide run on the bridge i kind of like that storyline that that arc that whole arc and and to a lesser extent uh general veers too his you know the assault on hoth and and there is that whole i think there's a deleted scene where he gets taken out by snowspeeder but it, it, it's that debate because it wasn't actually shown did he actually survive and there's two ways of thinking about it but i just those little minor characters stick out uh for me as well and i think that's why i, I kind of you know as, as much as i love the rebel forces too the imperial forces imperial forces are kind of cool in their own way because uh, they just look cooler they've got the armor the they've got the <laughs> uniforms they got the newest toys um But the Rebels, they're they're that plucky lot that just actually has the morals behind them and whatnot. And so there's so much to love about the Star Wars universe is basically what I'm saying. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's something that I I love asking that question because I do feel like one of the best things about Star Wars is that almost everyone has a story. It's almost like bizarre to look on Wikipedia and be like, that character doesn't have a name. (laughs) Like, he had no lines, but he was there. And usually they have names at this point. But what, what you said about uh, the costumes is a good segue into uh, you're you're a cosplayer I am uh, how, how did you start getting into that and since you bring it up which do you prefer wh- what do you like cosplaying
0: more Imperial or rebel ah okay that's a great question um, I got into cosplay kind of by accident uh, I've been acting for a number of years and for the longest time I kind of hated Halloween just because it was like dressing up and I dress up for a living type thing um, but it was always costumes that people made me wear uh, and it wasn't until i got kids that i really started to to embrace that again a bit more and it became more fun um <clears throat> excuse me dressing up my kids and then what happened was um i it all started with ghostbusters cosplay actually it was the the 35th anniversary of ghostbusters i was feeling old and it was one of those things where i i looked at it and i thought i'd always wanted a proton pack and so For whatever reason, I guess, you know, midlife crisis, call it whatever. Instead of buying a motorcycle, I decided I wanted to build a proton pack. And so I set about trying to scratch build one out of Fomacor and Sintra. And uh, I got all these plans off of uh, GB fans. And that's when I really started to discover how how deep the rabbit hole went. And I started looking at other cosplays and, and, and seeing, like, really, really seeing now. Because... For the longest time, I just sort of noticed that there's a lot of anime cosplayers. And if you don't know the shows, you don't know the characters, it it, it, it kind of goes over your head. And you're like, oh, okay, that's a really cool costume. But the, the significance doesn't affect me the same way as if, for example, I see a couple of guys dressed up like secure, the security detachment on BSG. You're like, oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, you guys look like legit hardcore. You looked like the deck crew on the Galactica. Or, or like the judges from Judge Dredd. You look at that, and you go, "Wow, okay, the level." Of- I can't believe you like Battlestar Galactica too. Oh my, I <laughs> love Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> me oh. too. <laughs> okay, well, we're best friends. Do we become best friends? Yep. Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's all that, and I just for me that really sort of went hand in hand with uh, cosplaying with with replica prop building because I wanted to get the proton pack to look just right. I wanted to look believable. And then that extended itself into the cosplay because I wanted the jumpsuit to look right. I wanted the patch to look correct. I wanted it, I wanted to look like I stepped off the screen. And that's when I started to discover oh, I really started to enjoy that. And especially with the franchises that I loved, it became more of an obsessive hobby. Um, and once I finished with Ghostbusters and, and I, I pretty much did all that I, I wanted to do at that point, I kind of saw. I was at a a charity function and I'd seen members of the 501st before over the years, but this was my first chance to get a really close up sort of view at them. And I went, I remember instead of going into the main banquet hall and having dinner, I hung out with a few of the, the, the troopers that were there and just asked them a billion questions about their costumes and how they built them and how comfortable they were and this and that. And so that got me started and it was just sort of like a Trojan horse thing because I built two costumes for my my kids i built a, a stormtrooper and a shoretrooper. i got the kits and i put them together and it was for them um, right <laughs> and then i realized like i had so much fun doing it and had these kick-ass costumes i thought well why are they having all the fun i want to wear my costume and so that's that's how i got started um so the imperial costumes they look amazing i love the armor the look of it uh building it is is a challenge uh there's just something about the structure to them that that just people when they see a stormtrooper somebody dressed up like a stormtrooper or anybody with a helmet on they're just wow if if it's done well there's a big wow factor that people really really kind of love and i love the idea of you can you can put on a helmet and and be sort of anonymous but still part of a a big group um The rebel costumes are way more comfortable to wear. (laughs) I'll say that, like the pilot costumes, like the fact that I can sit down in it is tremendous. Um, You know, if you've got armor on, it's people know you can't sit down in stormtrooper armor. You can't kneel down very easily. You get armor pinches, little pieces, two pieces of the armor will pinch very sensitive spots on your body between your legs, behind your knees, (laughs) elbows. There's always that tweaking, and it takes forever to sort of suit up and get get uh, you know disrobed with all that um the rebel costumes the one thing i love about them is they are very mobile um, all the costumes are hot everything like you put on a cost cosplay anything from stars you're gonna be sweaty um, but uh, you know it, it's it's that lovely it's that lovely feeling of 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 when you know you've nailed it and you go out in public and people see the costume and you can see the, bewild- the 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 joy in their eyes because you, they recognize you from where you're at. Like she's like, oh my God, you're from Star Wars. They might get the character wrong. They might go, oh my God, you're Darth Vader, and you go, no, no, I'm 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 actually a tie pilot, but that's cool. Uh, you you recognize them from Star Wars. It, it's that whole from every age range. I've seen hardened construction workers who swear a blue mile stop and grin from ear to ear uh, like a little kid when they when when they see you in costume. Uh, people honking their horns as they're driving by. It's, it's just this wonderful feeling of knowing you've done your job, right? And you're, you're making people happy. And that's what I, I really love about cosplay as well. And the 501st, they take that to the next level because they dress up for charities. And so they'll, they'll show up at events and that's the wow factor. And people want to get their pictures taken with them and they raise money for children's hospitals and different charitable um, organizations. And it's like, yeah, it's the best of both worlds. You get to dress up like a plastic spaceman and help people in need. That's a win-win.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, I, I also love kind of the, the details that you've added to some of your costumes, or maybe specifically the Rebel one. You you put Appa yes. uh, and OKCU OK, and Arabesh on the helmet. That's so much fun.
0: You're the first um, one to notice that. It's been on my helmet for two years, and no one's ever mentioned that.
1: So, it's... So. It's become like this thing where if I see Arabesh, it's like, well, now I have to like take the time. I'm getting better and better at reading it, but uh, it's almost a challenge anytime it pops up.
0: Bravo. Um,
1: so I think that's a good time to transition into. So what is it like going from yeah making your own costume to getting to step into one that uh, Lucasfilm has made for you and uh, getting to be in the universe? How did everything with joining the Mandalorian come about?
0: That, that's serious next level I feel like Cinderella at the ball <laughs> type thing you, you don't believe it you're just this this huge Star Wars nerd growing up with it and suddenly you get the opportunity to be part of that universe it's just pinch me um it, it all started back like and a bunch of stuff had to happen for this to happen so you know if, if you want to subscribe to the idea of fate um it all started like 25, 26 years ago when I was working at the Factory Theatre in Toronto, Ontario, uh, and I met this young woman by the name of Deborah Chow. And for those of you who don't know, Deborah Chow is one of the directors of The Mandalorian Season 1, and she's also in charge of uh, a little series called <laughs> Obi-Wan that's going to be, you know, it's either shooting now or it's going to be premiering soon uh, in the next year or so. so uh, but back then... We were just a couple of like young young adults who were just trying to... I wanted to be an actor. She wanted to be a filmmaker. And uh, we connected because we were both working at a theater that was going bankrupt, which was hilarious. And out of the blue, one day she said, hey, Paul, I'm shooting the short films. You want to be in it? But yeah, for sure. So we spent a day in, in, in Toronto's Chinatown. I had a trench coat and a, and a fedora and I... I played this down-on-his-luck uh, gumshoe, who was trying to solve a, uh, some sort of case. So we spent the day of me just walking through Chinatown and talking to people. It was all MOS, no dialogue. And then she disappeared. And I didn't see Deb again for 25 years. Uh, and I was at the Unforgettable Gala in Los Angeles. I'd been invited to take part of this this gala. And what it is is in Los Angeles, every year, the Asian-American uh, community they they have an award celebration for asian celebrating asian americans in media and uh so they invited the cast kim's convenience there and i was there first time in la we're at the beverly hilton I, i'm kind of in awe of the whole the whole experience of being in los angeles and uh deb jumps in front of, me out of the blue and says do you remember who i am i'm like yes deb what the hell <laughs> uh and so i you know i was like well what, what happened to you and she said you know the, the, the short film that I was in got her into Columbia Film School and uh, learned to become a filmmaker and then tried to direct, become a director. And she directed a few episodes of things in Canada, but the opportunities weren't here for her. So she went down south and then she started working, uh, you know, consistently on on shows like Fear the Walking Dead, like Jessica Jones, like Better Call Saul. You know, all these little boutique type shows that that no one's ever heard of. No. Like these, these <laughs> great things And then she was working on The Mandalorian And when she told me that My jaw dropped to the ground I said oh my god I Just It's amazing That's great Because I've been trying to get in touch with you Because Dave Filoni Is a fan of Kim's Convenience And uh, he's trying to write something for you A part for you And I was like Fuck off really? like, yeah, Come on pull the other one uh, and she was like, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Dave's wife, Anne, had discovered Kim's Convenience. And she said, Dave, you got to watch this. And he, he he ended up really enjoying the show. And, um, you know, Dave's a really – Dave and Anne, they're both really, really um, – they're proponents of diversity and, and inclusivity. Uh, and it was one of those pure dumbass luck things that they, they happened to see the show that I was in and they liked it. And then there was that connection with Deb. And then, you know, it, it was like two degrees of separation type thing. And she said, when she, when Deb told me that Dave was trying to write something for me, I, I grabbed her elbow and I said, you do realize I have like seven or eight <laughs> Star Wars cosplays at home. And I showed her my Instagram page where I had some of my 501st approved costumes. And she said, oh, my God, send these to me. I'm going to send them to Dave. And so I did. And she did. And he texted back right away. And said he could just show up in his costume. <laughs> I didn't have to go to wardrobe. Um, and that's how it all kind of started. They invited me to visit the set. Uh, I went, and uh, I had to go. I had to go back home the next day. She'd invited me. Said, "What are you doing tomorrow?" I said, "I got to go back home." But three weeks later, I came back to Los Angeles just to visit the set. And um, I didn't realize how big a deal it was because they'd closed off the set. Uh, it was one of these things where it's like, no visitors. Uh, this has got to be completely secretive. Mm-hmm. But it helps when Dave Filoni wants you to be a guest and so he worked it so that i could be there which was I, I didn't realize this until afterwards and i'm tremendously grateful for that opportunity so i got to visit and i met john favreau um and i watched them shoot that one scene uh it was in um uh the hangar bay in moss eisley and amy sedaris was in it and it was uh the the first reveal of of baby baby grogu who's coming down and i saw it and i thought <laughs> What is that? Oh my God! <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> like, ah, this is gonna break the internet. And uh, that was tremendous. Just seeing that, and seeing the volume for the first time, and that, that's the 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 three D, um, you know, the the, the 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 studios they have where they're displaying a three D environment uh, or, or a high def environment on the screens. Um, and so that was mind blowing. And then I got to watch Deb shoot a, a couple of scenes. Uh, in the other studio, and it was the one where They were all, all around the campfire um, uh, I think it's episode 7 And then that huge winged Dragon comes down and attacks mm-hmm. them So I got to see them do the stunts On that, and that was that was tremendous And then afterwards, Dave took me On a tour of the set um, I got to see the costume departments The props departments, all the different things He showed me the production offices uh, And I died, I was like Are you kidding me? This is, I could just drop Dead? And yeah, good life, good life. Um, and then you know I went home and I was it was kind of like oh I ca- I can't believe that kind of happened. It was a big whirlwind. Um, a few months later, uh, Deb she's in town for uh, we fast forward and it's like September and there's a Toronto Film Festival going on and, and Deb's in town visiting and we have lunch together and she's like you know Dave he's still trying to write something for you and I keep telling him it's got to be bigger not this it's got to be more. And uh, you know that's great, but it's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like saying we're you know we've got we've got a big surprise for you, and we keep trying to make it bigger. But, yeah, and, you know. And for me, it's like I get how the industry works, and there's be- there's best intentions where you kind of go, you know, we we have your mind, we, we want to work with you, but I understand that a lot of times it doesn't work out for whatever reason, scheduling, um, you know, studios want something different. It's a business, so I get it. Uh and so imagine my surprise in October when my my agent calls and says, "So Lucasfilm is asking for your availability?" <laughs> and that, that was it. That was that that's what started it. Um and it, it was it was tremendous because uh, I said yes right away. I had no idea what the role was going to be. Uh they have code names for all the for all the parts and my code the code name was Foodie Pilot. And I was like Foodie Pilot. <laughs> tracks like what i you know i was trying to be so literal with it and no idea and uh funny story was they said um because i was trying to find out what the character was uh, my agent said well they apparently john and dave like to tell the actors uh, personally what the roles are going to be like so i'm like okay so they will call you but oh that's so weird <laughs> <laughs> that is so weird john favreau is going to call me okay and um one night, and I've told this story before, and I'm going to tell it again because it's, it's a great story. Uh, I missed the call because, because I was eating KFC. <laughs> uh, my family and I, we were having was, I wasn't, like, sitting there in my underwear eating a bucket of chicken. My family <laughs> had ordered KFC, which is a, it's a guilty pleasure of mine, and I was actually serving it out to my kids, and my phone was down. I was about to sit down and start eating when I, you know, I just checked my phone. <laughs> And of course, John said, Hey, we missed you, you know, give us a call back I'm like, Ugh. so I had the call back, but it was awesome because he filled me in on on who Carson Teva was uh and uh he didn't have a last name at that point, and he described him as he's he's kind of like a traffic cop. he's there, they've got a lot of territory he gives the uh to cover um it's the new republic, and this is the outer rim, and they're kind of like the u s marshals. They get a lot of ground to cover and very, very limited manpower. And so he's there. They're doing a sweep for even Mando a really, really hard time. Um, so I was like, "Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I love that." Um, and then it happened really, really fast. They got me a, a work visa to fly down, and before I knew it, I was I was down in Los Angeles. And uh, right after I landed, they whisked me away to the studios to get fitted for my wardrobe. Um, and that, that's a whole other fantastic story. <laughs>
1: I, I please. Oh yeah, I'd love okay. to hear it. I've heard it, but like everyone tagged me in this story because right. Oh, is that? I've. This is a uh, my, my my wife got this for me for my birthday a while back. I mean, I just I love Bigs, so everyone's like, you have to hear this story.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, there uh, for, for for a flight suit a rebel flight suit. Um, and it was tailor-made. They got my measurements, and they they made it from scratch. They built it, and it was just it's beautiful, right? Because whenever people know when you get something tailored to your measurements, it's it's gonna be boss. And so I have it on. And then there's a story of, and, and I love this because it just was just the convergence of so many things in my life at that moment. the The two wardrobe people were fantastic, just. And I was looking at them Kind of going well you guys they hadn't quite Built it yet and they're trying to figure out how to rig it Together and how the leg holes went and whatnot." not And um, they were very uh, Not apologetic but they, they were Saying hey you know like we, we love our jobs We're good at our jobs but we're Star Trek fans and so this <laughs> Stuff is kind of it, it's a little bit different For us ah, no no no, worries, no worries. I was just happy To be in the room and then I said, hey, you know what, guys, if you don't mind, I actually have photos of this. Co- I built this costume and I've got all these those of how this ejection harness is sort of constructed and how it's attached. If you want to use them, go ahead. And they were they're were over the moon. And said, yeah, great. <laughs> so we're working together. And then finally, we got the costume and it looks it looks amazing. Uh, I'm in it I mean, and I, you know, I, I can't believe it. I'm, I'm dressed as a pilot, a rebel rebel alliance pilot. And then they said, OK, well, we need to take a reference photo of you in full kit but we don't have your helmet because it's being repainted right now so we've got this placeholder for you instead and they pull out this Rubbermaid bin and they open it up and I look inside and I see this helmet and it's got you know it's got bigs uh, the the emblems on it and I I recognize it right away I'm like is that that's that's big Starklighter's helmet yeah how'd you know it's like (laughs) um and I, I, I look at it and say is that like the real thing though because it looked old it was like old old <laughs> the, the foam on the inside was all yellowy and kind of crumbly it, it it looked like it had it, it seen some action and he said yeah it's it's the actual thing and you know they, they they gave it to me and I could see Derek uh no um Garrick Hagon like the name in there and then it, it just kind of hit me And they said put it on and I was like "Are you, are you kidding me To see, I, I saw that I recognized the helmet, and I was not expecting to actually wear on my head something that I had seen on the screens all those years ago, over forty years ago, and to have that piece of living history on my head. And I just, I started to cry. Uh, and they took the picture, and I begged. I said, "Look, I, I'm going to keep this for myself. Can I just please have a photograph for myself? So I actually have a picture of myself." <laughs> With with Big's helmet on, um, and full out crying in it, uh, and that's that's like I there there's so many moments in this journey that I thought couldn't top it, and every next moment kept doing that. Um, and as a fan, you don't realize how lucky we all are uh, to have something like this that we can love. And then we can complain about and argue about and this and that. I think the one thing that sort of unites us is, is a passion for for how it affects our imaginations and what it's meant to all of us in our lives. But for me in that moment to be able to sort of studying and and learning cosplay and and, and everything finally just sort of like having that focus in that that moment where we kind of go, well, there you go, kid. Put it on, you know, you're coming in. Um, yeah, I felt like Rudy about to go into the football game, in, <laughs> coach. So it was, yeah, I, I still i and I still can't believe it. I, I can't. you know i' and I'm just and I've been really, really happy uh, with the support. Like so many people have been so were so happy for me. um and that meant a lot too, um, because this this I, I like to see the the best part of the Star Wars community is a community itself and the support that we like to give each other. And so when one of us wins and gets to do that, I, I think we all kind of win in that way too. And I was. Am I cutting in and out?
1: Uh, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> just right, right at the end there, you you cut out.
0: <laughs> Such a pointed moment. No. um, Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. And then that, and then that, uh, you know, the next thing I knew, they said uh you know we want to take you to set jf wants to talk to you and i was, I was like who's who's jf <laughs> john favreau holy shit okay and so he drive me to to the set and um i'm watching and I'm looking at it and like we're in the studio a lot we weren't in the volume uh, they shoot other things in this. They have a studio a lot about a mile away from, from the indoor studios. And um, they've recreated the entire town of Nav- Navarro right there. It's just stunning. And they have the other sets, too. They had uh, the sets from Tatooine uh, as well, like the the cantina. We're called Vanth um, and Mando are, are in. I had no idea what that was at the time. Like, I knew it was on Tatooine. I knew it was a cantina, but I it wasn't the cantina mm-hmm. at Mos Eisley. And so it was great because John, he, he took me for a tour of all the different sets and we nerded out over different things. And, um, you know, I was just gushing gratitude. (laughs) I was like, thank you so much. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not usually. Or, you know, uh, the kid who's allowed to go into Willy Wonka's factory or into Santa's workshop in the North pole for the first time. Um, that's how i felt and and john was super cool and he said hey you know what uh that's awesome because this is this is they work with it every day and they love seeing actors or other professionals come in and just react that way because it reminds them of why they're doing it and and what keeps them happy um and he said look i also want to you happen um so it was again, and then he gave me a challenge coin, which is awesome. The, the challenge coin is like, oh my God. Yeah. He pulled that out of his wallet, which was like a George Costanza wallet, which is hilarious, I thought. And then he pulled it out and was like, are you kidding me? And it was it had the Mandalorian script on it. And of course, the first thing I did when I got back to my hotel room was like, I deciphered it. Like, uh-huh. I was like, okay, so what does this mean? And this was before season one had even aired. And it said, this is the way. And I thought, like, what does that mean? <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Anyways, that's so, yeah. that's so cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, what what was it to like? Let's just keep the next step. So now you're you're in costume, you're in character. What's it like to sit in the cockpit of an X-wing?
0: So the first time I was there uh, was for the episode that Carl directed, and it was episode four and i was decidedly nowhere near next an wing mm-hmm. um, and uh that was interesting too cuz Carl was like he's og like he is every bit of that icon from the 80s and he you look at it, there's there's a quiet intensity that, and a, and a confidence that exudes from him and he he really does he's this guy that you look at him you and uh, I remember because I made the mistake of well, not a mistake. It was crew lunch, and uh, I, I was there, and he was sitting there at a table by himself. And I thought he's going to be directing me. Our scene is together. You know, I, I'm a, I'm an award winning Canadian actor. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to go over. I'm going to say hi. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have lunch with Carl Weathers. And I went up, I had my tray, and I felt like such a douche nozzle. But I was like, I came up and said, "Hey, do you mind if I if I sit down and have lunch with you?" And he's eating, and he's working in his head on the next shots. And immediately, I'm like, "Oh shit! Why did you do that? Just you should just left the man alone." And he looks up at me, and he's chewing his food, and he he does the coolest thing. He kicks the chair out in front of me <laughs> on the other side, and he's sco- him halfway down. And he says, "Just as long as you don't expect a conversation." But- and I kind of. Half frozen, I thought, oh, fuck. I'm such an idiot. So I sat down and I thought, I'm not going to say a word to him. I'm just going to eat my lunch, be pleasant, I'm going to finish, and I'm going to leave. That's it. Um, so we ate in silence for a while. And then he looked at me and he was like, so whose friend are you again? And I was like, oh, uh, Dave's? He's like, huh, okay. And then we were quiet and I'm thinking, oh, man, and now now he thinks I'm just some sort of like a... Uh, a sycophantic sort of hanger on Or whatever who's got no skill no game And then he kind of opened up And he's like where are you from Like where, what's your heritage and I explain I'm Korean Canadian he goes oh you look like An old friend of mine did you ever hear of a guy named Pat Morita like, <laughs> Yes um, And you know that was That was kind of my first time meeting Carl And he was, he was tremendous uh, And I won him over because we we Had to shoot that scene it was that scene with Cara Dune um, and uh with Gina Carano and it was probably one of the most nerve-wracking scenes I've had to shoot because it was everybody's there. They're they're watching you and they're like, who the hell is this guy? And I'm in there and and I, I could not have had a more supportive scene partner. Gina was tremendous. She was very, very um, you know, she 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 was very open. She she gave a lot as a scene partner, which was awesome. And then I got a lot of redirects from Carl and then from John and and really they 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 were able to sort of get the performance that they wanted. And at the end, it was it was kind of cool because it was like I passed the test. They're like, okay, he's got some game. He saw some crap. You know, the next and then so the next day it was like way, it was so much more relaxed. Uh, I think people were a little bit worried that you know, this this guy, this friend of Dave's, was gonna yeah. start moving everything up, right? So when I came back in February to fly in the X-Wing, I was just like, hey man. I've been through this. I love this. I I can, I'm waiting now to get into the, to the, to the cockpit. And uh, they used, um, it was from uh, Rogue One, Mm -hmm. the same cockpits that they used for it. And like, it's, it's, I mean, come on, the details, tremendous, right? Like you have the the long version. It's not the full starfighter, obviously, but we had to climb up a ladder to get to it. Like the flight ladder. And you have to climb in and try not to step on any of the controls uh, and break it. But like all the lights are practical they had little slots where they could, uh, I mean, they cheat a little bit. They use smartphones, right? So the screens, but then they, they cover it over so they can have video displays kind of happening there. But the switches all worked. Uh, there was a, a flight stick with a, a, and immediately I'm looking, I'm going, okay, okay, that's the targeting computer. And I'm, I'm working out all the different controls and then the, the, the canopy opened and closed. And they had an R2 unit behind me. Um, and uh, I loved it. I was there because I'm in my, can- and I'm sweating because it's hot and I'm nervous. Mm-hmm. But I'm still sort of like, yeah, it's like this is this is it. This is what I want. And we're in the volume, and the guys who are working the the they call it the brain bar, they start, they start messing with the Starfield, and the the Starfield starts to do this. And I know I'm not moving, but every other sense in my body is telling me you're being violently thrown back. Yeah. I'm like, ah, and Peyton Reed, who's directing the episode, goes, Yeah, I know it can be a little bit. It can be a little bit disorienting. If you start to feel sick, just focus on a point inside the cockpit and just stare at that. Try to ignore what's going on outside. Um, and that was just like, okay, okay, that was great. But, I mean, talk about an immersive experience. You're there. They've got a projection of the the, the Razor Crest to my right. And to the right of that is the other X-Wing with Trapper wolves, um, who, who Trapper Wolf is piloting. Um, as a performer, it's all right there you don't have to like act to a tennis ball or to a blank screen. Like it's there, which is great. Um, and I, I didn't want to get out, you know, I <laughs> kind of felt like I, 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 part of me wanted to screw up a bunch of times just so we could just keep going. But in between takes, I'm like, <clears throat> I'm, I'm flying, I'm making noises and, and reenacting the trench run. Um, and then when we did the chase sequence, uh, on multiple Creeds uh, you know it was just like it's better than any ride at any amusement park you're on because it it's going like they have the digital background going and you're you're reacting to it and and i'm getting direction from peyton saying okay you really lean into it and you're really feeling the g's on this one and it's it's neat because we we haven't really seen an x-wing perform in an atmosphere before it's always been space battles. So in an atmosphere, it's got like that whole idea of the physics of an actual aircraft as it, as it's cutting through an atmosphere. Um, and I know X-Wings, they have inertial dampeners and stuff like that. So if you wanted to, you could play it where none of that should affect you. Um, but it's so much fun to play the idea that he's got the, the dampeners turned down so he can feel what the craft is doing. while they're, they're chasing. I love
1: that. Them. That's the kind of pilot Carson is. <laughs> yeah. and i just i just love that you know that (laughs) it's so much fun
0: like i said nerd and you know and it's it's that whole idea too because that's how i I think in the novelization that's how porkins dies he's got his inertial dampeners turned up so high he doesn't realize he's in that huge massive dive to pull and he can't pull out in time because he has no idea that you know his 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 x-wing is going down like that and so when bigs young pull up he doesn't realize that like he's he doesn't have the space to 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 pull out of it, and that's why he explodes. <laughs> um, so like that's that's the next level, sort of like deep cut nerdy things that I sort of kept to myself. Uh-huh. There, but it all informs your choices. And unfortunately, we didn't use a lot of those, uh, a lot of the footage that we shot, um, uh, chasing uh, the Razor Crest. But man, that was so much fun to do. That was so much fun to do. Do, do you
1: have, or or maybe they gave you, and then you probably can't say, but is there backstory for Carson? Did did they, <laughs> or, or do you have your own headcanon for it? Did you make anything up?
0: Yeah, no, there's there's no, I mean, if they have one, they haven't told me about it yet. Uh, he didn't even have a last name uh, until after we'd shot it. And it was great because Dave texted me and said, what do you think of this last name of Teva? And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> but that's great, and I went, Thank you so much for even asking me. He's like, No, no, we want to make sure that you're happy. I'm like, Dudes, I'm so happy already. You could have called called him Carson Garbage Knocker, and I wouldn't, <laughs> right? Like, it's just like it's one of those things where we go, Yeah, man, like I got to play in your sandbox, and I, you know, I, I'm just beside myself. So, yeah, there was no real backstory to him uh, other than the stuff that's in the script. Like, we knew he served during Alderan. Um, whether he was actually part of any of the main battles, like the Death Star, the battle against, uh, on Yavin 4, whether he was part of the Hoth defense, whether he was part of um, uh, the, the final assault on the second Death Star on Endor, or whether he, he participated in the, the Battle of Jakku. They have they, left it open, which is cool. And I asked Dave, and he said, well, it's a big universe. And not everybody fought in all the battles and stuff um and immediately my mind started to go cuz i'm a comedian i thought oh, well he's the guy that for whatever reason has always missed the big battles and he's pissed <laughs> he's super pissed like he just missed the battle of yavin because he had a bad power converter and his x wing couldn't take off and on hoth you know again he was just he was part of the he was had to protect the transports so he didn't get a chance to really fight the ground forces and in in return of the jedi he was like he had diarrhea in the outer rim or whatever and <laughs> so he couldn't make it And so I kind of, I I was joking about that and Dave was like, no, Um, (laughs) but it's, it's cool. I I love the fact that he is uh, obviously he's an older pilot um, and he's been around the block. And I love that they wrote in the fact that he, he knows enough that he can't be slavish to the the actual letter of the law that in order to succeed uh, in the outer rim, they got to play in the gray areas a lot and he he's smart enough to realize that and let mando go and try to get local support from from all the different systems because they can't do it by themselves um yeah so that's that's kind of cool playing that that type of a role that tired sort of vet who nobody really listens to um yeah he's that beat cop that knows that knows the ground and uh, the players change but he knows the game and, he, and he's trying to to survive out there um, I love that about him. There's something really sort of uh, romantic about that idea of this, this guy that's just there. He's been there for a while.
1: What is Trapper Wolf like as a wingmate?
0: (laughs) He's great. He's great. Um, He is. I mean, I I don't know any of his backstory. I teased Dave about it because in the first season it was, you know, obviously it was Rick, Deb and Dave playing, you know, cameos as, as the, the, the new Republic fighters. And he gives Deb a hard time because if you look at that episode, they taught she just goes in on her own. Nobody commands her. They said, Oh, it looks like they're launching something. She goes, I'm in it. And she goes in and she starts right away on a strafing run. And so they always joke and they go, Oh, it's slow down there. Like nobody ever gave you any or sash, sash kettle. And so I think the original idea was for Deb to be my wingmate, uh in, in that episode. But she was busy with um with obi-wan obviously and then she also said dave you can't put all the asians together all the time right like (laughs) and uh so it was fun because dave wanted to um it 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 was a chance for us to hang out a little bit too now he's super busy uh but i and so i totally appreciate the fact that uh you know he took the time out of his schedule to to come and play in that episode because he hates being in front of the camera <laughs> that's we,
1: we've been joking that like I, I hope it's a running gag that just trapper keeps showing up and it's like john's just shoving him in an x-wing cockpit like get
0: back in there it's great and you know uh with peyton too he's he's a huge fan of this of of, of star wars as well and it, it's a lot of fun because when you're working with people who obviously love the source material and love the universe and have a sense of humor and know not to take things too seriously, it just you know, it, it makes storytelling that much more fun to do because it is, again, we're telling an adventure story. Uh, it's steeped within lore that we all are familiar with and love. and But we're not above, or it's not above us poking fun at it and, and realizing that, hey, what we do, we're so blessed and we're so lucky. And it's just like, how can you not have fun shooting Star Wars? So, yeah, you know, instead of getting caught up in the importance of it. And I think that's part of the reason why, the Mandalorian is so successful is they don't take themselves too seriously. I mean, it's a serious business and they want to tell a great story, but they're doing something that they love. And I think that's evident and you can see it stamped on every episode. It's not like somebody's begrudgingly directing an episode or like acting in a, in a series. Everybody's in it because they love it. And that's fantastic. Like that's lightning in bottle.
1: Yeah. I, I keep thinking about something that Taika Waititi said in the, in the gallery, uh, behind-the-scenes thing last year, he said that, yeah, Star Wars doesn't take itself too seriously, but it does believe in itself. And, like, that has just stuck with me so hard that, yeah, you can have an episode where a frog lady and a frog man are hugging, and it's like, this is the most emotional I've ever been. <laughs> yeah,
0: No, it's touching, and, uh, and I love that. Dave also said something, too. He said it was the whole idea of, do you go photorealistic, or do you go believable? And mm-hmm. he says, always go believable. People will forget any sort of shortcomings of anything if if they believe in it and that's what i love it's like they create believable characters believable scenarios that people can relate to and so you you kind of go yeah frog people but they love each other you can tell they love each other um it's great it's great
1: so what was it like as the as they finally started to come out your episodes just seeing the reaction to it people i I think carson has had an overwhelmingly positive response uh how has that felt just to see yourself on screen Uh, and feel uh,
0: that i i was really nervous to be honest i I didn't know because i had no idea how any of it was going to really look or how people were going to react to my character um and my phone. I woke up to my phone because I'm on uh, uh, East Coast time, and people in the West Coast it, it drops for them at like midnight, and mm-hmm. that's three in the morning for us. Right. But at about three forty five to four o'clock, my phone, I guess, was receiving all these messages, and it. You know, I woke up at about five, and I had hundreds of notifications and messages and texts from friends from the from the from the West Coast and from fans and on all my socials and my my accounts suddenly started to increase in like followers and, and likes and stuff like that. And it was just, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And I got swept up and I have to apologize for people because I did kind of drop a bunch of spoilers by retweeting people's tweets and stuff like that, um, that I was appearing in it. And it was a big, you know, it, Kim's convenience, they call it a sneak attack. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And so i i got i, I kind of i felt really bad about that i was like oh no i'm sorry i just got swept up in the moment i didn't mean to ruin it for anybody um but it was yeah i mean so tremendous my family we have uh, a ritual fridays friday mornings um you know when the mando episode drops everybody we we try to watch it before school and so everybody gets up super early and everybody's got to get ready so you got you know shower you know, brush your teeth have your breakfast do all this, get your get dressed have your school stuff ready to go and then we only then we sit down and we'll watch it and then only if the episode is is short enough and there's some mornings where people sleep in but it's like oh the episode is only 33 minutes long so we can still do it um, but we will watch the episode as a family together and so sitting there and watching it with my kids um was <sighs> it's it's an amazing experience it's just I, I was so nervous and my kids were like, they were cheering and whooping and hollering and, and jumping up and down and go, that's dad. That, that's dad. That. Look at that. Look at that. And, then quiet, quiet and, we, and we <laughs> it was quite quiet. And we listened to it. And by the end we're like, can we rewind it? We want to watch that part again. And that for me was just like, okay, I did it right. It wasn't like, dad, let's fast forward to the next next bit and see what happened. um, And it was great because I, you know, my kids believed it. They believed it and they loved it and they're, they're biased, but it's, <laughs> it's like, my, my, my eldest is a teenager and he'd rather die sometimes than acknowledge my existence. Right. And so for him to kind of go, dad, you really, you did a great job, um, meant everything to me. Um, and, and so that was so surreal. And then just watching it again, because I hadn't seen it and it was hard to believe here. I am sitting in my living room in Toronto, Ontario, and there I am. In a galaxy far, far away, finally sort of realizing my dreams of being part of that universe, uh, and and I didn't look out of place. If that makes any sense, you know, I, I didn't. Not at something. all. Yeah. Hey, be- I I believe it. I believe that I. I you know that this guy's part of the New Republic and he's been around the block a few times. Like I believe that. So that was really cool. That was really cool.
1: And I mean, it's still kind of continuing because they've announced stories like uh, Rangers of the New Republic and Rogue Squadrons, and like, I feel like that Rangers show, especially, it's right there at the same timeline.
0: Like, yeah, oh, your lips to God's ears, right? Like, <laughs> fingers crossed and everything. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's just for me, it's like, well, the odds are good, right? Because if my character, unless the, you know, like, if my character's still around, and you know, they've he's been in two episodes, he's he's played a. Um, not a huge part, but like a little bit of a pivotal moment, like he's that scene with Cara Dune where he offers her the badge, and she she turns him down at first, but then he reminds her of you know hey, you're from Alderaan, right? You lost everybody, right? Here's your chance to do something about it. And so, and she's wearing it the next time we see her. Uh, I I love that idea of 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 him just sort of popping in from time to time. So fingers crossed, we'll see what happens. Um, and I I certainly wouldn't say no.
1: i didn't think you would (laughs) uh we've been going just about an hour so i don't want to keep you too much longer but i I do want to just talk about kim's convenience real quick because like i I think that uh, my wife and i uh molly and i we got into kim's convenience like right after uh that episode aired uh the the peyton reed spider one um, we'd heard about Kim's Convenience for so long, and then we were like, "This sounds like a good excuse to finally watch it." And we blew through it. It's so funny. It's so like heartfelt. Um, but I just thought, what would you say to Star Wars fans, since this is uh, that's who's going to be listening to this, to to encourage them to watch Kim's?
0: Yeah, we you know for all the reasons that you said, uh, Kim's Convenience is. Um, it's like putting on a nice warm sweater. Uh, when it's cold out, it's comforting. It's good humor. It's funny, but it's not your standard run of the mill sitcom. It's got a lot of heart to it. Uh, it deals with a lot of uh, family dynamics and you might not be Korean in your heritage, but you will understand the relationships between uh, parents and their children and vice versa. Um, the writing is tremendous. The performances are great. You get to see me as a character who's completely unlike Carson Teva. Um, uh, and it, it's been interesting because, you know, uh, a lot of fans of Kim's Convenience started watching The Mandalorian just because they heard, oh, my God, Appa's on on Kim's Convenience. But the reverse is happening, too. I, Kim's has gained a lot of fans because of, oh, my God, Carsten Teva, he's on this other show called Kim's Convenience. Let's check it out. And it's it's been a great sort of mutual, mutual beneficial society um, turn of events that's happened. So Kim's Convenience, again, uh, it, it's it's something that sort of gave me the opportunity to be on The Mandalorian. So if you want to check it out, I would love that. And I think you might just stick around. And like you said, Alex, it is supremely bingeable. It's like eating potato chips. You just can't have one episode. You gotta. You can just start mowing them down. And before you know it, you've blown through an entire season.
1: Uh, is there any like competitiveness between you and Simu? Because now you're in Star Wars and he's in the MCU. So you no, try to one we- up each other. <laughs>
0: No, we're both so, uh, so happy for each other. Uh, when we heard that, when Simu told me that he had booked the role of, of Shang-Chi, we were so, so proud of him. And, um, he's been working his ass off for the last year, just shooting that and during the pandemic and all the delays and stuff. And then coming back and him shooting season five of Kim's Convenience, uh, was tremendous. I mean, the, he, his work ethic was unparalleled and he really brought it, um, he is. He was so happy to hear that I was in Star. He knows what a fan I am of Wars, just like I know how much of a fan he is of the Marvel superhero universe. And so it, it's this both. It, it's this great sort of like mutual admiration society where we're like, "Hey," and we get to sort of trade stories back and forth of being on set. Um, and of course, I mean, his experience is going to be is so much bigger because as the lead <laughs> on a superhero movie, where you have the first asian superhero led sort of cast and story uh is a tremendous thing and we're all excited for i think it's premiering in july of 2021 now and uh we can't wait it's just i'm really really looking forward to seeing what he brings and uh we're all rooting for him
1: well paul thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me this was so much fun i wish that we could just keep going talk about battlestar galactica for another hour and stuff yep. but
0: Anytime, Alex, honestly, this is like, I, and I keep saying it's the best interviews are the ones where you just feel like you're talking with friends. And, you know, I, I'm open. Like, if you want to have me back, I'll talk about Battlestar Galactica. I'll start. I'll talk about Star Trek. I'll talk about any of that stuff. I love it. And, hey, I, I apologize for not being able to play Star Wars Squadrons with you. Uh, I'm at the noob level right now for everybody. My kids have been hogging the game system. I uh, <laughs> a little bit of time. And so I, I don't want a poor showing because you know, as a new, as a representative of the new Republic Starfighter.
1: Oh, sure. Of course. We're in the briefing room this time. Uh, <laughs> maybe sometime down the line we'll, we'll hop in the cockpit together. I'd love to, to be Carson's wingmate. Uh, uh, but, but for now uh, just thank you. Where, where can people follow you online on Instagram everywhere?
0: Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at bitter Asian dude. Again, that's bitter Asian dude. Um, I have a YouTube channel called bitter Asian dude Inc. Dude, oh my gosh Bitter Asian Dude Inc uh, I do a lot of unboxings it, It's it's for me it's reviews and unboxings um, I want to sort of Embrace the geek part of my life as well A lot of people know me as Appa And I want people to know me as, as who I am Because I think a lot of people are surprised That I'm such a nerd um, And uh, you can also Follow me on Instagram at Angry Appa uh, And I have a website Bitter Asian uh, You can visit that Um we're, we're trying to get things rolling and, and uh, sort of get the word out there and celebrate all things geeky and build that community of, of mutual respect and, um, you know, helping each other out during these tough times.
1: Uh, I'll put links to all of those uh, down in the description. So please do check them all out. Uh, this was so much fun. Such a joy. Uh, I, I really hope we see Carson some more, but. Uh, For now, thank you all for watching and hanging out with us, and may the force be with you.
0: Okay, see you.
1: At The Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level you can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.